Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Manoya. Join me each week as we probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Anchored and Reaching. I'm so glad you're taking time to listen. Uh, this is a place where we want to deepen our thinking, express our curiosity, explore the edges of our faith, and understand more broadly the work of God in the world and especially through the church. Today we get a chance to explore and to converse with a newly elected denominational head, General Superintendent Dr. Scott Daniels of the Church of the Nazarene. And I hope that you'll sit in on this uh, wonderful conversation that we have about denominations and the challenges that are that, that we're facing. And I hope also that you'll weigh in and share with us uh, your thoughts. You can email us at podcast at anchoredandreaching.com. And I think there's a link in the show notes. You can go there as well. But we'd love to hear from you at at podcast at anchoredandreaching.com. These are a series of interviews and conversations with newly elected denominational heads, that's the top leader of a denomination, that we're kind of salting in among some of the series that we're doing. So it gives you an opportunity to get a little bit of a insight into the thinking of these really important leaders that lead the various denominations as part of the, the family of God. So glad you're joining us on Anchored and Reaching. Scott, it's really great to have you here, and I really appreciate you taking time out of the early days of your leadership of the denomination to join me. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be with you, and and thanks for... We have a long history of friendship yeah. and connection across the years, and so it's good to be reconnected in this way. Yeah, it really is. I've always respected and really appreciate not only your thinking, but your teaching and uh, the in the integrity that you bring to leadership. So thank you, Scott, and thank you for being with me on this podcast. Um, I'm glad that the Church of the Nazarene had the wisdom to elect you to this high office. Um, <laughs> I hope you are glad as well. I know it means a change in your family thing. It does, yeah. So far, I'm I'm okay. I'm happy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Well, hopefully that lasts a long, long time. So, Scott, what does a general superintendent do anyway? I mean, I call, I use that generic term, denominational head. But what is what does a general superintendent do in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, in the Church of the Nazarene superintendents are a little unique in that. Uh, one, the Church of Nazarene has tried to keep the whole international church together, and that, that's fairly unusual. In fact, I think I'm correct in saying uh, other after the, the Catholic Church, the Church of the Nazarene is the largest denomination that still is internationally uh, gathered or, or uh, organized in that way. And in the Church of Nazarene, we've never had one general superintendent. We've had two, three, four, and now we have six. Uh, so I serve with five other colleagues. Uh, we have six global regions, USA, Canada, uh, Mesoamerica, which is Mexico and the Caribbean, South America, Africa, Asia Pacific, which includes New Zealand and Australia, and then Eurasia, which is a, a massive uh, region. 
but about 2.6 million members across those six different regions. And so essentially, we go on two-year shifts. Uh, I, My first set of jurisdictions, I, I have South America for the next two years, and I have... So we have nine educational, what we now call fields in USA and Canada. And I have, so so during that two-year term, you either have one or two of those fields. I have one. I have uh, Treveca. And so for the next two years, I am the jur- jurisdictional general superintendent over the Southeast U.S. and over South America. Um, but we do a lot of work together. Um, in fact, uh, I leave at 5 a.m. in the morning for our first week-long set of meetings where all six of us will be at the what we call the Global Ministry Center in Lenexa, Kansas. Yeah. And we will be all together from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. for the next uh, the, the next week meeting wow. together. Wow, wow. So, like, do you guys assign pastors? Do you make church law? Do you, do you clarify doctrine? <laughs> I mean, you know... What function do you yeah. serve? I, that's that, I did, that's not to, meant to be a challenging statement. It's just trying to clarify. No. Yeah, so, you know, the Church of Nazarene, like some of the other, like our holiness cousins who came out of the late 19th century, many coming out of some form of Methodism, and for a number of reasons, but some of that had to do with a sense on a number of those who were leaving that the Methodist Episcopal structure, the bishops had a little too much authority. And so the word superintendent is intentional. And so I, again, I'm, I'm uh, 46 days into this job. So, uh, I am learning quickly that I have some authority, but not a lot. Um, and so, uh, uh, somewhere between, a kind of missional leader for the church, but also the six of us function in some ways like the Supreme Court. Uh, we have a manual in which our polity and many of the you know, rules and processes are articulated. And I have discovered that we serve as a board to interpret at times uh, how folks at other levels of leadership, either district superintendents or we have regional directors. So there's a regional director over South America and field strategy coordinators. And so there's kind of levels of leadership, uh, how those ought to function well. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the most most significant uh, Episcopal or, uh, you know, kind of sacred right that general superintendents have a general superintendent must be present during an ordination service of new ordinance. And so mm. that's the sacred office, if you yes. will. That, and, and so I get to spend the next several years ordaining people, uh, which is beautiful. And, and we yes. preside at district super uh, district assembly meetings uh, and, and, yeah. you know, make sure those function rightly. Yeah. Uh, most of the time districts will elect new district superintendents, but, but in those areas where we have jurisdiction, if for some reason there's a transition between assemblies, we have the authority to appoint leaders. Uh, but I would say we pay attention mostly to regional and district leadership, and district leadership pays attention more closely to local leadership yeah. than that gotcha. we get to. Gotcha. Back when, and you know this, that I served in in a sister denomination to the Church of the Nazarene, in the Free Methodist Church as a bishop. When I was mm-hmm. elected bishop, I was curious about the difference between general superintendent and bishop, and somebody told me, said, well, you know, when our founder first started, he took the title of general superintendent 
But then he discovered that you can get a discount on the trains if you're in, you have an ecclesiastical title. So they changed it to bishop to get a discount on the train fare. Ah, well, I'm, some some well, tells me there's more to it than that. But you know, it just well, we should have thought that through because yeah. there are no dis. You're right. There are no discounts for general superintendents. Yeah. Well, there are no discounts for bishops either. I'll tell you that. So what do you think, <laughs> Scott? As you think about this going forward, you've probably maybe even laid awake at night in this new burden. This, I mean, because it's a heavy burden that you have assumed here. Uh, you know, what do you think lies ahead and, and what are the challenges for the denomination going forward? Well, I've thought a lot personally, uh, the challenge, it's, it's unique uh, to come into this position primarily leading in roles that certainly were with a team. So when you're a lead pastor, you have a staff team with you and I, you know, you and I knew each other well when I was uh, the dean of the School of Theology for a time at Azusa Pacific. And certainly you have a team of people that you're leading with there, but but you're still uh, the sole visionary leader. And so I, part of the challenge here is to learn what it means to lead uh, with five other colleagues. And, uh, and I, I've been told that part of our job this next week is as we meet together to bring all of our gifts around the table, but we're kind of looking for the seventh general superintendent around the table is the metaphor that we use, the, mm. uh, that collective wisdom. And so that, that's a unique challenge for me personally. Um, I think personally also anybody that has a, is a superintendent, whether at district or general levels, you have to deal with a lot of uh, problematic situations going on in various places and to not get so bogged down in putting out fires that you lose a sense of missional vision and, and leadership for the church. And mm-hmm. so I think for me, uh, those are my two probably deepest personal concerns uh, in transitioning into this kind of leadership. Yeah. Uh, but I do think, you know, for the church... <laughs> Like all denominations, there are, uh, in, in moments historically, there are different cultural, uh, social, theological issues that come along, and you begin to realize why various traditions emerge at different times because of different concerns or transitions going on culturally or within a, a nation or setting. Uh, and I think we're... We're in one of the. We're always in those kinds of places, but but I think right now we're in one of those places where uh, various issues and, and questions and theological perspectives and even cultural worship kinds of things are maybe resorting. Um, even coming out of COVID, uh, questions around uh, not just things like sexuality and identity, but things like uh, the political questions and racial questions and are forming a kind of transition that happens. And so can you sustain an identity that has kept you together for a century? Can you move that missionally? Or are there other forces that end up uh, creating a kind of sorting of of people and of organizations also out of that movement? Yeah, so it's... Um, it sounds like what you're talking about is the is trying to decide what's the core identity of the denomination and the theological stream as opposed to the cultural circumstances that put pressure on that. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, and I think there's been a lot of cultural shift too. So I, I've been thinking, uh, I'm teaching a, actually teaching a course uh, right now, trying to finish up some teaching uh, responsibilities in this move. 
you know, teaching a history and polity course and thinking about in the early days of the denomination, there's a little more uniformity from congregation to congregation, especially in USA and Canada, uh, a common hymnal. We'd come out of camp meetings and revivalism and, and so church services and the use of the altar and the kind of preaching that we did wasn't exactly uniform, but as you went from place to place and church to church, there was probably more commonality. And so, you know, the, the common worship is now not denominationally centric. It's other kind of independent or non-denominational or other kinds of places where we draw our, our worship music and, and, and habits from, and those can vary from place to place. Uh, People who lead in the denomination are not always now graduates of of denominational schools or seminaries, and so have been shaped by other, and not necessarily that's not necessarily a bad thing, but shaped by other places and theological voices and contexts. Um, and so, yeah, Kevin, I just think that that whole question of identity what is what is it that forms and centers our identity together uh, as those practices have changed as there's been some theological transitions and cultural transitions, that question of sustained identity is really, is really, really important. Um, yeah. and, and I think a deep challenge. So, so you mentioned there are theological transitions that have happened over time. What, what would be some examples of that? I mean, you know, I mean, that sounds like there's some pretty significant um, tectonic shifts in the denomination and maybe not just the church of the Nazarene, but other denominations as well that you're referring to. Yeah, so in my own context, I think uh, Nazarenes are weird. Um, so can you say that again? That, but, yeah, uh, I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, so Nazarenes, is... <laughs> Nazarenes are kind of odd in in this way. I, well, I mean, we could just put a period there. Nazarenes are a bit odd, but uh, but one of the things that's kind of true for I would argue Wesleyan traditions is that we are not. We've never on the theological side, we haven't quite been sure where we fit. Uh, because we're not, we're really not a fundamentalist tradition and, and really have not been. We weren't the unity that came together. So the Church of Nazarene really didn't split from anybody. We were just a bunch of folks concerned about holiness, some Methodists, some Quakers, some Presbyterians, some nothing, some non denominational folks who just kind of got in a tent and said, well, we kind of agree with each other on these things. Should we form a church out of it? But then they allowed some latitude on some places. And so some some in that tent and some in the early group were probably more conservative about some biblical issues or uh, lean more towards what we'd think of as fundamentalist uh, kind of leanings. But but for the most part, the theological tradition has not been. And so, uh, so I never know quite what word to put on it because Nazarenes should never be thought of as liberal or progressive, but there is the sense of, um, of fairly progressive in terms of view of, of, of biblical inspiration and, and latitude over issues like creation or the return of Christ, um, modes of baptism. Like, you know, there's a great deal of latitude there, but we were really conservative socially and saw holiness leading us towards some ways that, that were conservative socially, but also, kind of radical with regards to we started in the inner city of Los Angeles. So transformational in terms of urban settings, even the weird name Nazarene comes from first from John chapter one, where Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so the name was, we're going to be the church about Jesus, the Nazarene, but 
but a church oriented towards people, nobody thought anything good could come from them. Hmm. And so, you know, I would say in terms of social action, racial reconciliation, transformation of urban centers, we were pretty progressive in some ways in those ways. So Hmm. put that on, you know, hit the eighties and, uh, the the moral majority, the change in politics. And so now all of a sudden you have this weird split because you have folks who feel like, man, we we probably fit a conservative political agenda, but do but we're not really with those folks who have started all of that theologically. But if we do some of that, then we lose some of our social action and some of our, you know, that side of things. And so I just remember as a young person sitting in a meeting with a bunch of Nazarene sociologists where they were arguing, they were concerned that the primary identifying factor of Nazarenes in the USA and Canada had more to do with political leanings than with theological understandings. Mm. And so I just think some of those social pressures then have, have raised the question, um, you know, can we sustain a particular theological and, and social identity when the categories of, you know, progressive and conservative have been really shaped by political conversations more than theological mm, that's conversations. That's a really good observation. Yeah. You know, I, I sometimes talk about the difference between a rail approach to living out your theology or a track approach, where there are two, mm. you know, you got the track, but you've got latitude between the edges, whereas a rail that requires complete intellectual, spiritual, and behavioral assent you know, Doug Jacobson at Messiah writes a book called Gracious Christianity, and that's what comes to my mind when I hear you describe the Church of the Nazarene as having some latitude, even though the track is kind of generally conservative in terms of behavioral things, social things, and theologically, but it's not fundamentalist, like it's not a rail, like a fundamentalism. So it's it, it, it sounds like, you know, it's, it's a good Wesleyan um, uh, representation, Scott, that you know, Wesleyans kind of stand in the middle between two extremes, don't they? I mean, there's there's a, there's a latitude with that that Catholic spirit, that that unity spirit w- through a broad diversity, and I know even that word kind of scares some people, but but that's what I hear you talking about, and it's nice to know that that you describe it as such, but that may be rather difficult to maintain, right? Challenging to to maintain that kind of identity. Yeah, and I think that there are issues in the four or five generations of the Church of the Nazarene. Probably every generation has faced an issue or two that has tested those those boundaries. Um, so to uh, and to use the language of centered sets versus bound bounded sets, I I would I would say our tradition has tried to be a centered set tradition. Yeah. Uh, but even there, you know, you you find well. There are some boundaries here, though. There are some issues that seem to come along each generation that test some of the how centered we can be and and where where the boundaries come if there are some. And and then I I also think one of the challenges for Wesleyan and other type traditions that came out of the added experience to the quadrilateral uh-huh. uh, is can the kinds of experiences can that can a a faith that is so deeply personal, can that be replicated from generation to generation? Is it, is it a particular experience that then must be 
relived from generation to generation? Or is there a kind of core experience, but it has some differences from generation to generation and different expressions out of that experience? And especially then when you're not just talking about a particular cultural context, but now in a global context, um, what does that look like for um, my brothers and sisters in Africa or in and the Asia Pacific region, or, you know, what, what, what will that look like when I'm with the South Americans for three months over the next few sure, years, sure. over this next year? Yeah. So, well, and you're also dealing then with the perception of people who may not be quite so, uh, centered set to assume that somehow you have lost your anchor, you have lost your way and you've just become, kind of you're on the slippery slope into demise and an ambivalence and an ambiguity that, you know, I mean, you got to deal with that too, right? Yeah. And to, and to use, you know, one other piece of, of Hebert's framework there is you can also become a fuzzy set. And if you've lost the core things that, that drew you, eventually there's no reason to belong to a fuzzy set. You just kind of drift away. And so I understand uh, you know, I'd like to avoid being a bounded set, but I also recognize, but you can't just be a people who, you know, had parents who were Nazarene or, yep. you know, uh, uh, there, there has to be some center that holds, uh, the church together, but, but that's challenging. You know, yeah. that's, that's very challenging to know how to rearticulate that from, place to place and generation to generation. Yeah, so so as a denomination, I mean, <clears throat> a denominational head is the epitome of the organizational leader. I mean, the general superintendent is the brass, right? I mean, that's the <laughs> that's it. And um, you represent the institutional nature of the church. So obviously, you have a deep belief, likely, that denominations generally are viable and that there's a future for denominational manifestation of the kingdom on earth, I would imagine. Um, I mean, is that true, or do you, do you, do you struggle with people? That, I, mean, I guess I better not ask you to say that publicly, because then you'd really be in trouble. <laughs> there are probably people who may challenge that, right? Yes, I, I think there is a, uh, and here there may be an ebb and flow of, it feels to me like certainly there has been a couple of decades where independent, you know, quasi-independent movements have have grown and done really well. And there's a sense of uh, why would you want to, you know, get get bogged down both in financially belonging to a, a denomination, um, but also just the kind of hassle that comes with all of that too. Um, but I also think we've seen some of the downside of after, you know, with a couple of decades now of experience in, in USA and Canada in particular, of some of those independent movements and, and a lot of that's been good, but the issues of succession have been a problem. This, the issues of account of accountability have been very public problems. Uh, you know, you have massive investment going into that, but then where does that go when when succession falls apart or when accountability falls apart? And and then also just that sense of of collective family <laughs> and identity. Um, and so I, I feel like there's a bit of a pendulum swing of a recognition of oh, there is a need for us to stay connected to 
to folks who who nurture us, pray for us, hold us accountable, but also have an investment in making sure the thing the churches and ministries that we have invested our life and heart and resources in hopefully have some life beyond just this moment and perhaps those those places of connection that we thought of as denominations are not as bad as as, the, as, yeah. as some folks have, have think they are and certainly you know they we can become problematic and oppressive and um you know big cruise ships that are hard to turn around and um more focused on maintaining the institution than fulfilling the kingdom mission that we've been given by our Lord. But, uh, and, and it may just be that, you know, my family, Kevin, I mean, we, we got into this four generations ago. It was, I had two grandma, two great grandmothers who came to Christ through the church of Nazarene and got us messed up in this thing. But for <laughs> me, it's been, and I, you know, I, I went to Fuller and so I, I did a couple of degrees at Fuller. And so it was wonderful for me to be in a context with where all my, you know, to go from a, a name that was recognized in the church of Nazarene because of all my family members to a place where nobody really knew, knew yeah. anything about the church yeah. of Nazarene, let alone me. Yeah. Um, and and to see the global body of Christ. But it was also healthy for me to recognize every every denominational family had its own dysfunctions. Yep. And, yep. Uh, but to be really thankful for this people who had invested and and prayed and and had a mission and invited me to be part of that. And so we are temporary organizations on the way to the new creation mm-hmm. but but I still am convinced there's something really beautiful and good that comes out of those those family connectedness yeah con- connections that's a really good statement that I want to just pull I just want to highlight we are temporary organizations on the way to a new creation I think if people can grasp that then instead of seeing denominations as a threat to unity, it's actually a testimony to the diversity of God working in a variety of kinds of people that God can bring unity out of that diversity. I mean, you know, it's it's basically a family, and every family has their unique uh, uniquenesses, but we all have a common unity that transcends our our diversity. So... So, so let me push that question a little bit, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, and, and to the extent that often people will say that denominations really are an indication that Christians can't really get along. I mean, you know, I, I, one, one question is an institutional organizational question. The other has to do with the, the fundamental, you know, unity that Jesus prayed for among Christians and the fact that we have these multiple institutional manifestations is more of an indication that we, we just can't get along, so we kind of have our own party out here, and then we compete with each other, <laughs> right? So h- how, how do you bring, how do you address or bring some sense of response to that as a, as a church leader? Well, there may be a shred of truth in some of that. I mean, I, I think that there's, uh, you, you know, I, if you read, Acts 15. I mean, there's a sense in which even at the Jerusalem Council, there was a sense in which, as Luke tells the story, and then even later as as Paul tells the story, that that Peter and James and the leaders said, you know, we're going to keep doing this thing that we feel like God has called us primarily to, which is ministry to 
to Jewish folk, but yeah, you go do that Gentile thing, Paul. Like you go do that thing, and and we'll be unified. But like you go do that thing, and and I know that they were unified in some sense, but but there was yeah. even there a particular sense of vision and mission that drove the two in slightly separate directions. And, and I don't know that we'd call them denominations, but um, and it, you know, it didn't take very long for the Eastern Church and Western Church to begin to find different identities that were more shaped by culture and language than they were by theological ideals, although eventually those sneak into. Um, and so, you know, the, the church, I, I just, part of me wants to say, this has been a problem that we've had from our inception, not, but it has less to do with the fact that we just can't get along than then we do find ourselves in different moments of mission, different places, and we, we share the same overall mission, but we may find different places and expressions and moments where um, a particular aspect of the gospel may, be, may feel like it's being underappreciated or undervalued in a certain time, and a group comes along and says, uh, you know, you and I are Wesleyans, and, and Wesley came along at a time where the Anglican Church felt dead spiritually. And Wesley was like, I, I feel spiritually dead. You all look spiritually dead. I think I have a list of methods we could we could lean into that that mm-hmm. might try to revolve, revive some of that uh, that holy living that the scripture invites us to. And I don't know that he meant to do any, start anything. I, well, I'm quite certain he didn't. Um, but moments of history that lead to something called Methodism. And, uh, you know, a century later, some of those grandchildren came along and said, you know, coming out of the Civil War, I'm not sure how spiritual my neighbors are either. And and I feel like that group has kind of lost their emphasis on holiness. And yeah. So I don't know, Kevin, I, I just think there are those, I don't know that we can't get along, but I do think uh, we'll give the spirit some credit. Um, yeah. But there are moments where the spirit breathes life into particular groups of people um, and, the, and a kind of movement starts. And I think even when we see we see some, you know, I, I, you and I are friends with Rick Warren. We, we see like what ha- has yeah. happened with Rick at yeah. Saddleback yeah. Or, yeah. or other kinds of, you know, uh, what's happened with Life Church and some other places where a movement becomes bigger than just one simple location. And, and the spirit seems to be up to something. And inevitably, uh, and, and maybe you could read Acts this way, the spirit moves and then we've got to figure out how to how to organize what the spirit just did. Um, and, and you have these responses that become organizations. Uh, but as long as we can stay unified across those different movements and moments uh, at, at some level of recognizing we those of us who call ourselves disciples of Christ have become still share a, a common family and yep. baptism, uh, one faith, one spirit, one baptism. Uh, hopefully we can witness to a greater unity and not just, not just compete with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And it's well said because each of those may be a work of the Holy spirit that provides an emphasis and the best way to lean in is not to try to, muddle it down into some um, minimalistic 
uh, middle road, but rather emphasize or lean into the emphasis and come together with the variety that we all represent. I, I often say we're different, not better. And a uh, variety of streams uh, of the church uh, in, the, in what I call the river of God. So let me ask you as we wind up here, maybe one last question that <clears throat> um, we could probably unpack in another session sometime, Scott. But uh, what do you see as some of the cultural issues that are challenging uh, denominations in general, but particularly the Church of the Nazarene um, in the next, you know, three to five years or your terms, four years? What do what are you what are you up against culturally? Yeah. Well, I'll name one that that because we're a global tradition, people don't maybe think about as as much as the ones that make all the headlines. But I think if anybody who is paying attention to the church and global Christianity at all knows that there's a major shift taking place as the the church in the southern hemisphere really grows and thrives and the church for the most part in the Northern hemisphere is, is slowed down and struggling in the European North American context. And so uh, it's interesting for us. We, we don't mandate that journal superintendents, for example, come from various regions. We don't elect one from each region or anything like that, but it just so happens that the church, as we've, you know, you have to get two thirds of the votes of the delegation to be elected journal superintendent. And right now we have, um, a Guatemalan, a Colombian, uh, uh, an African, uh, a woman who was born in Germany and served most of her time in Europe, and then you know t- uh, two Anglo's, um, <laughs> an Oklahoman and an Idahoan. Uh, but but how we you know how we how we f- uh, fan the flames of the spirit that is blowing across Africa and South America and some of those places and allow that leadership to begin to have voice and uh, and and there. I, you know, I'm finding more and more this sense of there's so much richness there. And and the North American European church has to stop acting like the leadership of that church is 20, 20 years behind us or, you know, they'll, they'll eventually. But I mean, they are leading. And and how do we um, how do we facilitate that and how do we uh, celebrate that? I mean, and that's mm-hmm. a huge challenge. But that then plays into some of our social issues. Um, and so, you know, certainly the questions around uh, sexuality and identity um, are are dividing almost every denomination or at least putting, ten, you know, creating tensions. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's not just how we are responding to culture, but, but that issue, those issues play into our understanding of scripture, our understanding of tradition, um, you know, there's just a lot of things at work in those conversations, and so I recognize how complicated they are, and and what does love mean, and what what does it mean to extend the gospel, and what does transformation look like? There's just so many things there, um, and so you know we're we are too in the midst of that. Um, I I hate how I will just I and I can use that verb rightly. I hate how much. Uh, COVID and other things, how much the politicization of the last 10 years has deeply affected the North American church. And, um, and I don't know what all that kind of looks like and and that it's more than a generational divide um, because it's not just a clean generational divide, but I, I am hope I'm hoping that we don't 
reflect what's going on around us with red states and blue states to have red churches and blue churches or mm-hmm. in in my case uh, red districts and blue districts and yeah. you know just uh, how can we get through some of those uh things uh that are that are pretty divisive and then i just think the 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 social media world has and and maybe cable news networks have put us all in echo chambers of various kinds yeah. and algorithms that get us into defining ourselves more and more by what we by what and who we dislike than than what we are for and and I'm not hopeful that we can sustain an identity based on who we are against. Um, and I, I don't want to be. I don't want to lead a church whose identity is all the things that we're against. But what mm-hmm. is it? What are the things that we are for and that we're calling people uh, to by the grace of Christ? Yeah, you've. Yeah, uh, not surprising, Scott. Partially why I asked that question because I knew you would put your finger on some really big issues that are fundamental to the future of the church. And clearly we don't have time to unpack all of those, but um, I I think part of the reason what I'm glad about what you've just done is you have identified some of the burden that you now carry as, as a denominational head, not just thinking about how do I get into my community and evangelize or how do I get the, you know, how do I get the the sports program at the church going or whatever, whatever, whatever. (laughs) Or, uh, or even just preparing for Sunday's sermon. Now it's a matter of carrying the burden, uh, the weight of the church uh, as represented in the Church of the Nazarene, and what are the issues that burden you. So that, frankly, is what I hope people who listen to this will remember and pray for you and your five colleagues as you sit this next week and you contemplate the weight and the burden <laughs> of the church, because it's not easy. You know, it is a heavy load. So, um, and maybe sometime in the future, I mean, clearly the, the things that you've just enumerated, we could take uh, um, episodes with to talk on this podcast in, you know, into the future for a long, long time. And maybe we'll do that if you're, if you're disposed and you're not too busy. Uh, I just really appreciate your identifying it. So, uh, you Thanks. know, we, we, um, we um, have a lot more to talk about, but this is a glimpse into your future, your life, and the lives of denominational leaders that um, I think are are people who do carry a heavy load, and we want to make sure we lift people like you in prayer. So I really appreciate your taking time, Scott, for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Thanks. So good to be with you. Yeah. Well, and maybe we'll get together and get you on here again to talk about not just what it's like and what is a general superintendent do, um, and wishing that you could get discount on airfares <laughs> if you had a better title, but we'll talk about some substantive issues that you've put on the table. So thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, I'm glad you, uh, are listening in and, uh, look forward to being with you again in the next episode and watch for these times when we spend time with denominational leaders like Dr. Scott Daniels, uh, general superintendent of the church of the Nazarene. And we'll be doing this more often. So you get some insight into the thinking of leadership, the issues that confront the church, and some of the ways to think broadly. And hopefully this has created some time for you to express your curiosity and to explore some of your own thoughts. Thanks everybody for joining us. God bless you. Let me encourage you to keep leaning into the wonderful adventure of becoming all that God has envisioned for you to be. 
Anchoring yourself in a secure identity, you reach with confidence to engage with people and daily life all around you. Allow your curiosity to explore and find God in the edges. Please take time to share this podcast with all your friends and invite them to join me in upcoming weeks as we explore together this exhilarating journey of being anchored and reaching.